Welcome to Epidemiology Now. My name is Eun-Yang Lee. Epidemiology Now is a podcast prepared for students in Health 323 Introduction to Epidemiology at Queen's University. Hello, everyone. In this episode, the topic we are going to discuss is association and causation. And today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Michelle Guerrero. So Michelle is a postdoctoral fellow at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. And I know that Michelle can sing and dance like Beyonce. So that's really awesome. Um, and it is very exciting for me to have Michelle to our class today. Um, we worked for a bit together, like about one month at GEO. Um, so it's great to see you again. So big welcome to the class, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So do you want to introduce yourself to uh, our students? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, like you just mentioned, I'm a, I'm a postdoc at the uh, Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, working in the Healthy, Active, Living and Obesity group or research group. Um, and I've been there for about two years, nine months. Um, previously, though, I'm not, uh, my training and education isn't in public health and epidemiology. I, I did my uh, master's and my PhD at the University of Windsor in exercise and physical activity psychology. Mm. So about two months, um, two months um, heading into the completion of my PhD, I applied to this position at Halo and I got it. So I ended my PhD, had one month off and then started at, at Halo. And it's been fun. Nice. Yeah, that's very interesting because none of the people that I talk to, um, they pursue the same, like pursue the goal in the same field. They were all over the place. And same for me too. I, I did my PhD in health psych exercise psychology. Um, so it's very interesting. But what really got you to, I guess it just naturally happened. But, but you know, advancing from or being being at the nexus between exercise psychology and epidemiology like how how did it all come together for you yeah it's a good question i have always been interested in children's uh, yeah. physical activity healthy movement behaviors that kind of stuff but in my phd i really honed in on children's imagery in their physical activity and how they see themselves being active in non-organized uh, sports settings and how that influences their confidence and their active play participation and stuff. So I've always had an interest in children's healthy movement behaviors, particularly physical activity. Mm. And then when this position came up, um, it was perfect because one of the main projects that I was um, tasked to do is work with you on uh, children's engagement in forest and nature school. Mm -hmm. So I really, I found the shift pretty natural and, and kind of coherent in somewhat way. I, in my PhD and master's, I looked at children, what's happening in children's minds regarding mm -hmm. play. And then I moved into my postdoc and I started looking at what are they actually doing in their active play when they're outdoors and, and free to play. Mm -hmm. So I guess the common theme was children's health and their health behavior. And that just got you to the place where you are right now. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, thanks for giving us a bit of your background and, and your research interest. So as a postdoc right now, what kind of research are you conducting? 
Um, so my research very globally, children's healthy movement, behaviors, physical activity, sleep, screen time, but probably within the last year and a half, I've really honed in on children's screen time or mm -hmm. digital media use. Um, and so right now I'm looking at what are children doing online? And so I'm using data from self-report questionnaires, and I'm also using uh, objective data. So what are mm -hmm. kids actually doing on their smartphones or their tablets, which is really, really cool because for years, we've only been able to understand what children are doing by a self-report. Um, and so we're, we're getting the frequency, how much time in the past seven weeks have you spent you know, watching television or on your smartphone. But, you know, a child can be on their smartphone and be doing multiple different things. Mm -hmm. um, and so what is the content? How are they engaging with their cell phone or their smartphone is different than how much time are they using, right? Mm -hmm. So I've really kind of taken this interest to um, social media and, and smartphone use. But then also, I know you have a background in, in measurement and evaluation. I'm interested in how can we better assess children and youth, uh, smartphone use via questionnaire. So a lot of the questionnaires that we've been using for the past several years have been, you know, relatively the same when we started measuring uh, screen time in, you know, mid 2000s. And screen time or digital media use has evolved so much. So to be using the same questionnaire today as we did, you know, 12, 12 15 years ago is, is dangerous, mm -hmm. um, reflective. So I'm looking at, um, you know, different screen time measures and how we can improve our, our questionnaires for assessing digital media use and, and yeah. nice. Yeah. Well, like even five years ago, we didn't have TikTok. <laughs> Insane. And now TikTok is skyrocketing for children. Yeah taking over and i don't have the tiktok account so i'm not i'm not the most timely person <laughs> so i don't i i have downloaded so many different apps and games because i'm seeing that kids are using these apps and games mm -hmm. i don't i've only done it because i need to understand why they're using it what it's about so i have to say i was on tiktok last night and i i have an account i don't post i don't follow anyone i just scroll under the discovery yeah. and content on TikTok, TikTok is diverse. <laughs> oh yeah. In a good way. Diverse. <laughs> That's how I'm putting it. Diverse. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So yeah. Well, before we get into the topic, I want to talk a little bit more about your research. So how do we objectively measure screen time and is there any ethical issues doing that? It's a great question. And I think we've taken so long to get here because of, of those issues that you just wrote, like, you know, mm -hmm. raised. Are we ethically allowed to go into someone's smartphone and see what they're using? So there's a few different ways we can measure it objectively. One is using an app. So, you know, like we might pull data from a, an iPhone just and look at the screen time data. You know, there's updates that we get every mm -hmm. Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, so we I can, hate those. I hate those. I hate, I hate those. As soon as I pop it pops up, I'm like, click, I want it, I want it off. I want it. <laughs> um, so we can use that, but that isn't, you know, it isn't used very often in research studies. Um, there's one device that I've looked into and that I've played around with for a research study, and it's called Circle. 
And so this, it's a little small box that plugs into a home routers, uh, uh, family routers, um, internet. Mm-hmm. And so, and you download the app and it's primarily aimed to, for parents to monitor and control or limit mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. time. And this device is amazing in terms of content. So you can see how long the child was on specific platforms, which is something that we've never been able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, TikTok, Instagram, Netflix. And we see now, especially in the past year um, during the pandemic, people are spending so much more time on their mobile devices than any other device. So this, this device circle uses um, or calculates a child's time spent on different um, uh, platforms and how much time they're surfing and all that kind of stuff. So that's another way. Mm-hmm. But um, one, the data that I'm looking at right now is from the Adolescent Brain Cognitive Development Study. They recently, which is the longest, so it's ABCD study. It's the largest long-term study on child development and brain development in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so they recently implemented this system. I forget what it's called, but it, um, they've been able to track children's time on their screen time. So I'm pretty sure they gave an Android phone to the to children. And I am going through the data. So just to give you an idea, there's 130,000 data points that was that were were pulled from from the um, objective screen time data. And the stuff that these kids are doing, again, very diverse. So some apps are so harmless, like there's a painting app, or there's, you know, a drawing app, or there's an app where, you know, you're in a snowplow, and you have to snowplow the roads. Um, stuff like that. But then there's all these other apps that kids are downloading that are mature rated or teen rated. And it's, you know, not appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> and they're engaging with this. So it's really, it's fascinating to see what they're actually doing online because it's not self-report. Um, and so you really get a glimpse, a snapshot, a snapshot of, of what they're doing. on their device. Wow. That's really interesting because now we know screen time is not good for children's health, but we don't know what type of screen time. And we need to know that because everyone's engaging in screen time, like it's unavoidable, right? So knowing what type of apps or what kind of activities um, we do in front of a screen that could really provide us more in-depth information about, you know, developing public health policy around screen time. Like we cannot... Now we cannot really say limit your screen time to two hours per day. Like that's not enough information. That's just, and especially too, um, it, right now, I don't think it's, it's good that we say that when kids are living in a pandemic. So mm-hmm. let's just go back to the beginning of the pandemic in, in March, April, May, June, when kids were at home, they weren't going to school. I hope kids were on their devices engaging, using FaceTime, using all these different platforms to connect with their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can be very, very isolating for a child. So especially right now, I hope they're engaging in different types of screen time that can help them feel connected to their, to their friends and classmates. Right. So now it's like the generation is now, um, the screen time is like necessity. It's not, you know, something we can do in a 
it's doing leader time. It's social currency for young people. If you are not on social media or your cell phone or your screen time, you are you are unlike the majority of your of your you know classmates and friends. Uh-huh. So, are you saying I'm old? <laughs> Listen, we're both old. <laughs> these things that are popping up I'm like what is this app like I don't know yeah I'm out of touch I'm out of touch you know coming from a person too that just downloaded Instagram like maybe two years ago mm-hmm. I'm very out of touch <laughs> wow wow it's shocking but I guess yeah the things change things change yeah yeah okay well thanks for uh speaking more about your research now let's get into the topic so we're talking about association and causation um, today. And so we have association and we have causation. Uh, can you tell us the main difference between the two, Dr. Guerrero? So uh, an association is when there's a relationship or an association between an exposure variable and an outcome variable. Mm-hmm. Whereas a ca- uh, ca- causality or a causal relationship is when there's um, a change in the exposure variable that results in a change in the outcome variable. So very two different types of, of associations. Mm-hmm. So I guess association, there's just simply they're associated, like there's an exposure and outcome and they're just related. Whereas um, causation, there's some causality. So one thing leads to the other? Yeah, one thing, yeah. Yeah, one thing leads to the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So can you, can you give us some examples of each? So what type of relationship you can say association and what, what type of relationship you can say there's causation? Okay. So an example of um, a relationship that might be so associated is, or uh, an association, um, is, you know, higher screen time. I'm just going to place this into my research. Higher screen time is linked with greater depression in young people. Mm. That's mm-hmm. an association. Those two variables, the exposure, screen time, or let's just say social media. I'm going to say, I'm going to specify this. Social media is associated with uh, higher levels of depression. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I'm not entirely sure there's an experimental study showing this link. Mm-hmm. So when we think of um, causality or causal, we, we're, we're looking at a, a change or that the exposure variable was manipulated mm-hmm. and then the uh, outcome variable was assessed. So, um, an example of that would be, okay, in my PhD work, we looked at children's imagery use. So we got children, we recruited children from elementary schools, and we divided children into two groups. One group um, was children who received the imagery intervention, and the other group just received children's short stories. Mm-hmm. Under the intervention, um, we, we saw that children in the imagery group had higher levels of active play than children in the control group. So that is an example of where, you know, we could draw some causality to the relationship between imagery use and active play participation. Right, right. So for example, like based on one cross-sectional study, like there's an association between screen time and depression and screen time was the exposure 
And depression was um, the outcome. And even though we find that they're associated, we cannot really say that there's a causation between those two variables. Whereas let's say we have experimental study design, so RCT, and there was like case and control or treatment versus control and we um, control the exposure setting, then we follow them up and we measure their outcome and we see differences, then we can maybe um, infer causality, but you know, we need multiple studies and multiple evidence. Exactly, I mean, even that one study, that means, you know, nothing really. Mm -hmm. You need to, like you said, we need replication and we mm -hmm. need other studies to, you know, mimic and also introduce other variables that weren't considered initially. Um, but, but yeah, exactly. Like you said, we need multiple studies to confirm that this predictor leads to this outcome. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. So to determine causality, we need multiple studies and to confirm and to back up, um, our argument. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So we covered association and causation. Now let's dig a little bit deeper into associations. So, um, you know, in EPI course, I always teach to my students that there are three types of associations. So the first one is superior, second one non-causal, third one causal. Um, so can you tell us what each association indicates with, with some examples? Sure, yeah. So spurious associations like you have in your slide are, are, are false associations. Mm. So. Um, typically in, in this one, we'll have, you know, a, 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 a exposure and then an outcome and they're only associated because of a third variable. So I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just looking at your, um, your textbook because I think mm -hmm. that in the textbook, they gave an excellent, um, example. So there was a, a study that was done that looked at dietary intake and cancer across 60 different countries. So they found that um, there were multiple positive associations between these two things. But they said that these positive associations are purely due to chance because there's these other factors that can play into the role. And we don't actually know if the, ex uh, if the exposure variable has a relationship with the, with the outcome variable if we don't consider all these other variables. So these are false um, associations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after this one, we're going to talk about um, bias and confounding after this topic. So I guess it's highly relevant because we talk about confounders and, you know, because chronic disease, there are multiple causes, not just one thing, physical activity or dietary habits or genetics, right? It's a combination of those things. So we need to really tease out um, the the impact or association between one exposure and outcome by controlling other factors as well. And, and, you know, if we think about that as researchers, that's really hard to do. Sometimes it's really hard to do to minimize bias. You mm -hmm. know, if we're recruiting a sample, is that sample diverse? We don't want the sample to be too specific. Are we using the right measurement tools? Um, you know, what other, are we, are we performing in the analyses correctly? Have we controlled for other things that might impact the relationship? So limiting bias is a really hard thing to do, mm -hmm. um, it can, obviously, but it requires a lot of thought in order to, okay, am I going to make this claim? Am I very confident that this association exists? 
with how I limited these, these different biases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, am I, yeah. Like the question that we have all the time, like, am I, how much am I confident with this result? Like, can I, can I, you know, say that there's a causal uh, relationship? So that's why, because it's based on, you know, our judgment basically in yeah. determining causality. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, so we're going to be speak about bias and confounding in the next class, but thanks for mentioning that. I think that, that that's a really nice transition. And of course, determining causality and association, highly relevant with bias and confounding. And I tell my students that none of the studies are is perfect. Not, yeah, and that, I think that's the thing, is to, is to be aware that the studies that you run or that mm-hmm. you're in charge of, there are they're going to be full of biases. It's, the goal is to never ever eliminate all because that's impossible. It's to reduce mm-hmm. as many biases as you can. So mm-hmm. no, when you're doing your own research, you know how can I limit the biases in my study? But also when I'm evaluating another study or a peer-reviewed paper, mm-hmm. how can I be aware of of any biases that other researchers may not be aware of, or acknowledge the biases that they did in the limitation section? Right. Wow. Dr. Guerrero is fixed to your experience. <laughs> My gosh, now we can talk about peer review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in, we also have a topic about critical appraisal of epidemiological research. And yes, it is important that we critically appraise each study because we have all different types of biases and confounding in every study. And we need to make sure that we, we know we can identify that and also we are able to control for those to so minimize um, biases that we could have in our study. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Awesome. So <laughs> we talked about spurious and kind of non-causal and causal too, but what's, can you give us one example um, of non-causal association? Yeah, and you know, Dr. Lee, I'm gonna go to your t- t- chapter again because <laughs> I just think your chapter was excellent in terms of really explaining. So in your chapter, they talk about um, how non-causal associations may exist um, when may also, sorry, may also exist when the defined exposure um, results from the outcome. So here they talk about hypertension Mm -hmm. may result in kidney disease. Mm -hmm. Um, But there may also be association between the two hypertension would not be considered a cause of kidney disease because the, the exposure does not precede the outcome and therefore cannot alter its frequency. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I think um, non-causal is, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the type of association that we would more often see. Would you agree in our reason? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most, I think most findings that we have, because we cannot be ever sure, like it's so unfortunate, but we cannot be ever sure. But there are multiple factors and we try to identify all those things. So I think currently the evidence that we have is mostly uh, non-causal association. And, you know, among those, we can identify some of the causal associations, right? So for example, like smoking and lung cancer. 
for sure. Like it started, it, that's the basis um, of epidemiology. So we know that cigarette smoking is associated with lung cancer. And we see like odds ratio of more than 100. So, you know, then we can maybe confidently say, yes, cigarette smoking leads to lung cancer. But other than that, like we are not really sure. And even smoking and lung cancer, is it really smoking or low income that's associated with cigarette smoking, right? Yeah. And non-causal too, when you were like non-causal relationships are, um, they question whether that, if the exposure variable is removed, is that, am I, yeah. So if, you know, people get lung cancer even when they don't smoke. So, you know, yeah. So what, really be confident. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like somebody who didn't smoke and they get lung cancer, then how can we explain that, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah, so now we covered superior non-causal and causal association. So let's move on to um, Bradford Hills criteria in determining causality. So, you know, there are certain criteria that we can use to determine causality because it's about researchers' confidence it's about making judgment. So someone has to make judgment and, and you know, so we need some criteria to be sure, to be confident because, you know, the point of epidemiology is also um, turn our knowledge into practice. So we have to be cautious because we don't want to make bad policy, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So um, there are nine criteria and I want to specifically uh, discuss only four the major main uh, very important criteria so that's uh, temporality strength of association consistency and those response relationship and we alluded to each point in our conversation but let's go over from the top so temporality directionality what does that mean okay so temporality is the exposure in question so the, the um, independent variable or the predictor um, mm-hmm. must precede the disease. I um, see. This is the app, like in your slide, it's the number one thing that must be present in order to determine causality. And if we think about, you know, a lot of research studies, um, especially in, in my line of research, when I'm looking at social media or screen time and health outcomes, you know, I think one of the first limitations that authors cite in their limitation section of the paper is we cannot determine whether social media causes depression because it was assessed at both the same time. So that in that case, if you're assessing social media and depression at the same time, the one, the, the exposure doesn't precede the outcome. So a mm-hmm. perfect example of we cannot uh, determine if, if it's causal. Right, yeah, I never thought about that. But yeah, the first thing that we mentioned in limitation is that this study cannot infer causality. Like I, I would just say it without even thinking. <laughs> but I guess that really speaks to its importance. So the, the most important criterion, and thanks for mentioning that, is temporality. So the exposure condition should precede um, the outcome. Yeah. yeah. And- and to Dr. Lee, um, you know, when we talk about causality and we're talking about, you know, something causing something else, we as researchers 
Two, I think have to be super, super mindful of the language that we're using. You know, when, when I say social media influences mental health outcomes, that mm. word influences is immediately associated with, with causality. So I don't know if, if you've had this when you're reviewing papers or people reviewing your work, we attack those instances <laughs> where people are using this causality language when you have a cross-sectional study. Yeah, for sure. So we want to avoid, even though our studies are CT, maybe we want to avoid using strong causal language because it's just one study. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and I talked to my dad and I'm like, oh, so dad, I think screen time is associated with bad health outcomes. So maybe you should reduce your screen time. The next thing that he's going to do and he meet his friends and he's going to say, my daughter is a doctor and he says, I uh, know she says, screen time is bad for your health. So then that, that becomes causality. But that is, and, and that, you know, exactly like that. But media also picks up on that. So it's your dad, it's my sister, it's media, it's documentaries that are picking up on this really, really strong uh, yeah. statement. Yeah, and screen time is such such a hot topic right now. So, you know, the media will pick up. And actually, students are currently doing the assignment on um, news story that's oh, based okay. in, yeah, that's based on epidemiological research. So there are all different types of news <laughs> that you will see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting. And, okay, so the next one, strength of association. What does this indicate, Dr. Gregorio? Okay, so when we have an association that's a strong association, then, and we have multiple studies that can kind of confirm this strong association, then we can more or less be, be somewhat confident that it is a causal relationship, that something mm -hmm. here is existing, that it's, it's potentially um, present, that the predictor or the exposure causes the outcome. Mm -hmm. I see. So with temporality, if we see a strong association and, you know, students are getting used to odds ratios and relative risk. So let's say, you know, we see odds ratio of 100, then maybe we can be confident. We can be a bit more confident than looking at odds ratio of 1.5. Right. Yeah. And, I, you know, to, to, to just to t talk to you, looking at a study from a, a broad perspective, you, these are the things that you have to look at. Um, association, strength of association. If multiple studies are reporting a very, very small association between mm. X variable and Y variable, okay, that's, you know, that's something to consider. But if there's multiple studies and rigorous studies that are showing these large associations between X and Y, then, okay, wow, we can really, you know, move past that um, that level of like, oh, is skepticism where you say, okay, is this, a, a, is this a causal relationship? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And that's also associated with, I guess, con uh, consistency that we're going to talk about. So, so we can move on. So what's consistency? And it says uh, replication of the findings. So can you tell us about that too? Yeah, yeah. so consistency is, and replication in science right now, I think is a huge topic. Um, and, and it's something that we are all searching 
towards this to be a little bit more consistent in in the research findings that we're, we're producing or publishing. Um, so, you know, replication is is replicating these studies over and over again. So let's just say social media and depression. So there's been quite a bit of studies showing that there is a negative link between social media and depression. So the more social media you use, mm-hmm. the higher levels of, of depression you have. So um, one thing I'd, I'd like to consider, or I'd like to point out too here for the consistency is I like your point for the different populations or study designs. You know, a lot of social media or screen time papers show, yeah, the, the association between screen time or social media and mental health is very, very small. But here's the difference when, when researchers really dig deep, mm-hmm. social media and, and depression, there's a stronger association for girls than boys. So mm. I think consistency is important and consistency among considering different things, age groups, Social media and and depression is also stronger for younger girls than older girls. So, you know, not only being consistent, but in in the specific populations and genders and study designs is is important. Right. So it's just not about one big population that we are talking about. We the consistent sometimes it could be inconsistent between different population groups. So then we need to look at different age groups, different sex groups, different gender groups, um, Cultures, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. So lastly, now uh, we can discuss um, those response relationship, and I guess we hear this a lot in drug trials. So can you explain uh, what this is and maybe an example as well? Yeah, this is this dose relation dose response relationship refers to when there's a the more exposure should theoretically lead to a greater effect. So a perfect mm-hmm. example of this is social media. Mm-hmm. The higher social media users, the more at risk they are to experience levels higher levels of depression. And this mm-hmm. is evident in research. We don't see a, a huge relationship between social media and depression in light or moderate users. We do see that dose response though, when you get into the high uh, social media users, then we see that that really skyrocket that relationship where, where there's higher levels of depression. Mm-hmm. So the, the association between exposure and the outcome is kind of um, incremental or, or detrimental. Um, yeah. But so, Dr. Guerrero, are you saying that uh, low to medium levels of screen time exposure is fine for, <laughs> for us? I say, am I am I getting validation here? No. <laughs> I'm saying that based on the research for young kids, we know that there there's a dose response relationship for girls and heavy users and um, young girls. Mm, I see. So then. I still need to, what do I need to do with my high screen time every day? You need to turn off Netflix and (laughs) (laughs) stop watching, uh, what's a popular one? Queen's Gambit? I haven't watched the entire but I've heard it's wonderful. Yeah, that's old. (laughs) I'm like, I'm watching Bridgerton right now. Oh yeah, I can't get into that. I, I... (laughs) I, I don't like that type and um, the queen. Okay, I know I might get a lot of back. I just can't get into it. I don't know what it is. With the crown? 
The crown, the crown. See, yeah, I don't even crown. know. I don't even know the name. It's so crappy in my eyes that I just don't even know the name. Wow, you're doing well. I watched everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So we like determining causality. It's important that we consider all four things: so temporality, strength of association, consistency, um, and those response relationship. But out of this, out of all. Temporality um, is the most important one. The key. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so talking about association and causation, is is there anything? Is there anything that we are missing? Wow, hmm, that's a tough question. <laughs> are we missing a lot of things? No, you're not. No, you're not. Okay. I think the chapter and your slides do a wonderful job of okay. providing students with the knowledge needed to assess um, peer-reviewed articles, but also to design and to make sure that you're interpreting your research findings correctly. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that I want to mention, so your paper, yes. I'm gonna put this, as a, put this up as, a, as the reading. Okay. So it, the title is Screen Time and Problem Behaviors in Children exploring the mediating role of sleep duration. So in terms of association and causality, what are we testing in this paper? We are testing whether there's an association. We are mm. not testing whether there's causality. So mm. the screen time served as the exposure, uh, problem behaviors, which were things like aggressive behavior or um, depression, uh, served as the outcome variables. And then we also threw a third variable in there, which was sleep duration. So we said, okay, is screen time associated with uh, problem behaviors, one, mm -hmm. and is also screen time through sleep duration, is that associated with problem behaviors? And we did find that uh, sleep duration mediated the effects of screen time and problem behaviors. So we're looking at purely associ uh, um, associations here. Mm -hmm. So, but what, what it suggests is that, um, you know, those who engage in excessive screen time may lack sleep. So that may turn into problematic behavior. Is that correct understanding? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that's the, the mediating relationship that you, that you just mentioned. So high screen use is associated with less sleep, which may be associated with more problem behaviors. I see. So, so then, you know, this is testing the association, but if we have more studies like this, and if we find consistent findings, um, then maybe, you know, we can validate this, this um, association and maybe we can say there's a causality. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I will be critical of my own work because that's always fun to do. Um, I really don't like the term screen time. I think it's dangerous. I think all oh, screen time is not, screen time isn't equal. Um, if I'm on my phone uh, playing chess or on YouTube learning how to bake a cake or something mm -hmm. like that, that's different screen time than engaging in, in hours of scrolling on social media or Instagram, mm -hmm. something like that. So I don't like how we just throw this term out there, screen time. I think that that's dangerous when you say screen time and problem behaviors, because it's not, you know, screen time definitely plays a role. But when we're talking about problem behaviors, 
research is showing that likely it's it's the corporate is social. Um, the one to blame, the platform to blame is social media. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I'm just criticizing my own work. Screen time, using screen time as a global term can be dangerous. <laughs> I think that's a really important point and maybe really important thing to think about when we um, do another terminology project on sedentary behavioral. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I think it's something wow. I should collaborate on. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks, Dr. Guerrero, for t- uh, coming in today and speaking with us. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Amazing. Thanks.